Welcome back to the Teen Challenge of Southern California podcast. We're glad that you've chosen to make us part of your listening experience. We're starting an Out of the Vault series featuring sessions from the 2018 Pastors Conference that TCSC hosts every year. You're gonna hear messages from Jim Cimbala, who's written numerous books and pastors the famous Brooklyn Tabernacle Church, as well as from Pastor Gary Wilkerson and our very own Ron Brown. Today, we're tuning into the fifth session from Pastor Jim Cimbala. Listen in, be blessed, and thanks for choosing the Teen Challenge of Southern California podcast. Let me do, uh, I didn't ask uh, Brother, Pastor Brother Ron, but here, let me just put in a word. You know, I told him today, 1,700 pastors are leaving the ministry every month in America today. 1,700 a month. And most denominations, no matter how they kind of spin it, you have to live in reality. Uh, a lot of them are negative growth. And Nazarenes, Assemblies of God, Southern Baptists, and all of that. They're church planting, and they're doing their best, but a lot of churches are closing down. Uh, you know that, right? And um, the average attendance of a church now has gone from 90-something 15 years ago to 68. Now the average church has an attendance on Sunday. And... Um, so, uh, Pastor Gary and I, I've been invited along to some of his events overseas. I do some of my own. I do it throughout the country. But I got so burdened, I planned two events this year, one in May, one in October, I believe, and maybe November. Uh, you can visit. It's going to be called Refocus, and I'm only going to have 100 people come to it uh, in New York. Uh, from a Sunday, you come to two services in our church, and then intense, and then a meal together, then intensive Monday, all morning, all afternoon, lunch in between, off Monday night, do it again Tuesday, and end with the Tuesday night prayer meeting and being prayed for. With By keeping the numbers small, we can have constant Q&A and find out and stop and pray and do whatever we need to do. But you got to light a candle. You can't curse the darkness. you got to encourage pastors. So if any of you know of someone or you want to come yourself, just visit brooklyntabernacle.org. It's called Refocus. Some of you should come just for no other reason than you got to get out of this fresh air and beautiful scenery because <laughs> it's going to kill you, this fresh air. you got to come with their smog and dirt and graffiti. I'll have the kicking lady there for that weekend. <laughs> We're going to bring her in. No, this fresh air will do it to you. But seriously, uh, I only say that uh, it's very inexpensive. We're just trying to help somebody. You got to help somebody. You got to help someone. Got to encourage pastors. Just one other item um, that our church is doing now. I just throw it out to you because... Uh, the, for Bible reading, what's it called? Not the association, but the organization for Bible reading has come out with, uh, it's hundreds of people now per day in America stop reading the Bible. And um, uh, they want to fight that. So they've come up with something ingenious that I'm doing right now with our church. I just throw it out to you. They, they have a new approach to... Um, Bible reading. They're trying to get people to read the Bible. That's a good thing. Amen? Faith comes by and hearing by the Word of God. 
So what I did was I, I, I met them, I dealt with them in the past. They're really godly people, wonderful guys. And um, they had the New Living Translation of the Bible, but how they do it is ingenious. I'll give it to you just real quick. We started on January 1st, which happened to be a Monday. We are reading through the, the church. Well, I, we've sold thousands and thousands of the New Testaments. They're called Immerse, and this one's called Messiah, and it's paperback. Up on the top, there's a, a little uh, lightly written what's on that page, but there's no verses, just paragraphs, because it wasn't written with verses. It was written just in pa as a letters, most of them. So, uh, and what they, d we have a, a reading sheet that's in it. I have mine in my suitcase, and I'm uh, working with it. Um, uh, I'm reading through with the church. So what it does is it gives you your reading assignment for each day. Read pages 18 through 22. They have an eight-week program, and that uh, eight-week, yeah, that might be good for your church. It wasn't for ours. So I met with the leaders. I said, no, I have too many people dropped out of school, too many ADD reading challenge. So make it 16 weeks. So the whole church is reading through. But the other thing they did was they changed the sequence of the New Testament. This is nothing spooky or weird. Uh, it's just the Bible. But, but their sequence is much wiser to me. Instead of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get a new convert. They get a Bible. Read the New Testament. Okay, Matthew, life of Christ. Oh, Mark, another life of Christ. Oh, Luke, another life of Christ. So they've done differently. They put Luke first, followed by Acts, both written by Luke. So you have the life of Christ, the promise of the Spirit, the birth of the church now, and then you have the early church. Now you got the conversion of Saul of Tarsus to Paul. You have his missionary journeys, right? And you end that. Then they put in chronological order, as it was written, as best they can figure out, all the letters of Paul right through. First... Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, then into Corinthians, all those letters ending up with 2 Timothy, right? Then they go to Mark, who was influenced by, uh, I'm sorry, they go to, yeah, Mark, who was influenced by Peter, and then, so they put Mark, then they do 1st, 2nd, 3rd, Peter, Jude. Then they go to Matthew, which was written with a Jewish flavor to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. Then they do Hebrews and James, both having that coloring. Then what's left? John, 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, Revelation. And the whole church is reading it through so that people can talk and say, what'd you get out of Luke or what'd you get out of Mark this week in the third? What's that mean to you? What'd you get? It's really helping us. I can tell it in the prayer meetings. I can tell it in the services. People are getting into the word of God. And a lot of our folks are undisciplined. Correct? So, so this helps them. And it's a reasonable amount of reading. You know, four, five, six pages a day in a paperback form. Now when it's done, and by the way, they have it in audio, they have a website, you can go, they give explanations. Just the explanations, the, the um, outlines of the book, the intros to each book, the letters before you read, let's say Mark, or you read 2 Corinthians, it's worth the price of that, of that paperback. So I just throw it out to you, it's called Immerse, it's the Society for Bible Reading or something like that, but immerse, you'll, you'll really enjoy it. Amen? So something happened yesterday, well, a lot of things happened yesterday, but something just happened personally with uh, me when Pastor Gary came to pray for me, which, uh, or to, for one of my grandchildren, 
which um, I was thinking about and pondering, and I want to just share a passage which references what happened, so important. The sovereign Lord, Isaiah 50, listen, the sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. Listen again. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue. That's a weird phrase. We wouldn't say that. But it's the poetic language of Isaiah. To know the word that sustains the weary. How did it come? He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. So notice here uh, in this passage here in Isaiah 50 verse uh, 4. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue. Notice that God wants to help people, but he'll only use his people to help those people. There is direct, direct action from God. He's the God of all comfort. He does things as we walk with the Lord and directly when we're not around anyone. But for the most part, he uses his body just like you use your body. Isn't it remarkable that he won't use angels, he won't speak in the sky, he won't send a message in the middle of the night in, in a dark sky and give the message of salvation to people, and yet he wants people to know. In his sovereign will, he has reduced himself to those who belong to him. How can they believe unless they hear? How can they hear unless someone tells them? The harvest is ripe, what's few? The laborers. Therefore, pray. Don't train first. Pray. Don't disciple first. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will raise up laborers. Could I just point this out? You can't make somebody something that God didn't make them. I don't care what training you give them and what discipleship is well-meaning. The church is built on spiritual giftedness. It's not, this is not a corporation. It's not Apple. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it operates through the spirit, through the giftedness that God gives his people. Without that giftedness, we end up being like Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses. We have a, a body of doctrine, and we teach it, but there's no life because there are, they are cults, and, and we have the truth, but without somebody gifted. Notice uh, the, how God has limited himself. I've, I often have struggled with this. Look, um, this is why Jesus is seen walking among the seven churches in the book of Revelation. He's not trying to get in the UN. He's not trying to get in the White House. He's not trying to, that, that's, that's just totally bogus. Not trying to get in Congress or the Board of Ed. Please, stop. We're the light of the world. No politicians are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. So why is he walking among the seven churches? Because it all rises and falls with his people. Now look, right now, uh, I'm, my brain is telling my body, walk over to the pulpit. So I'm going to walk over to the pulpit. Okay? Why? Because I'm healthy enough that my brain can send messages to my body. My legs work. My my arms work, so on and so forth. My heart is beating, my lungs are working. But if someone's paralyzed, or if someone's sick, or someone's comatose, they're alive, but they can't function. Their brain might tell them to do all kinds of things. 
My mom's 103, going to be 103 and a half on March 19th. Listen, we're Polish. We keep moving. We're not smart, but we keep moving. So um, I'm half Polish, half Ukrainian. So um, my mom, her brain could tell her certain things now, but she's just enfeebled. She can't do it. That's why the church is all important, and you and I are all important to God and our congregations. Because just like Jim Cimbala can't do anything without his body, so it is with God. A sick body reduces what Jesus wants to see done on the earth. No, God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. I, I beg your pardon. That is not correct. He has limited himself, like you and I are limited, to his body. Yes, he does do certain things, uh, but Luther said God does almost nothing but in answer to prayer. He is sovereign, but he's chosen. I'm not using angels. I'm not just doing that. I'm going to use my body. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. You have to go. Why? Because unless you go and they hear it, they won't be saved. Well, I know, but that's not fair. It's just the way it works. You got to go. So a sick church, a comatose church, a sick pastor, a comatose pastor, is really has eternal significance. Because this is why Jesus said to the church at Laodicea, look, I, I, I stand at the door and I knock. You're not hot nor cold. I could get either one, but you're lukewarm. So we, we got to get really fervent about what we're doing because we're it. There is no other plan B. We're it. How many say amen? amen. We're it. We, your church, my church, we're responsible before God. How we do these things. That's why Paul would boast, you know. I don't boast in another man's work. God wrote in your heart through my ministry. We have to be able to get to a place where we can see God using us. That's the whole, uh, whole thing. So... Now, notice, so the, this man here who's writing, the servant of the Lord, who, who could be Israel, could be a, a type of Christ, could be a type of Isaiah. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. Notice God is using words. Words comfort. Words bring conviction. David Wilkerson's words were used by God. David, David Wilkerson's words brought the good news to Nikki Cruz. Nikki Cruz now speaks words, and God uses these words. But they're special words. They're not only Bible-based. They're taught by God. They're impregnated with God's power. And notice that he has given us a word. Notice he has given us, he instructs us, the word comes from him to me. It's not in me. I have to be continually receiving it. This is all important. Listen to me now. Listen. Remember when they came to John the Baptist and they said, John, hate to break this news to you, but the crowds are thinning. They're all going uh, across the river there, and they're, they're going to where Jesus is because he was baptizing people. He never baptized anyone himself physically. His disciples did because he had a baptism called the baptism of the Holy Spirit and of fire. So John looked at them and said, what, you feel bad for me? I'm paraphrasing. You feel bad that the crowds are thinning and going to him? The reason they're going to him is because he has something that I don't have. And he said this sentence, 
A man can receive nothing unless it's given to him from heaven. Listen again. A man can receive nothing unless it's given to him by heaven. His efficiency, his power, his fruitfulness, his dynamic ministry comes from heaven. How could I be jealous? He couldn't do it unless heaven gave it to him. And if heaven gives it to him, what am I going to do? Fight with heaven? Am I going to be jealous of heaven? This is why jealousy of ministries is really counterproductive. If a person is doing something for God, you're fighting against God because God gave that person. But notice it's all built on reception. The greatest Christians are the ones who receive the most. In the flesh dwelleth no good thing. So who's the most mature Christian? Who are the most used men and women of God? There's nothing in them. God doesn't work with Jim Cimbala. He's so depraved. He's so messed up that God bypasses me. And he puts Christ in me. Remember what Paul said? It is not I, but Christ who lives. So Christianity, just like you receive salvation, and it's a gift, and you tell people, don't try to earn salvation. It's a gift. It doesn't stop there. Everything is a gift. And a lot of us in ministry and a lot of us as Christians, we get the revelation that salvation is a gift. But now that we got that gift, now we're going to do something. I'm going to do something for God. But what can you do unless you first receive? What can you give anybody unless they gave it to you first? And now the prophet is saying, the Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that will sustain the weary. Let me just add this, folks. Don't beat your people down. Don't beat your people down. Even if they're messing up, ask God for a way to probe in there with love and, and, and draw them out. There, there is a time for a rebuke. Remember, you got to encourage. you got to correct and rebuke. Those are three hard things to do. But the first one is to encourage. Prophetic utterances are to encourage the people, build them up. I grew up around churches when somebody would sometimes uh, supposedly or for real prophesy. It was, it was so destructive that you felt like getting a 45 and just ending your life after you heard this word because it was just... It didn't bring you to Christ. It just buried you. But in certain circles, if you bury people and knock them out and stomp all over them, oh, that was a good meeting. God really moved. Everybody was crushed and stepped down. But that's not true. Jesus didn't leave people that way. Paul didn't leave people that way. Show me where, where that ever happened in the New Testament. It's a pseudo kind of spirituality. The point is to say the convicting word, but then bring them to Christ. Bring them to hope. Bring them to faith. So the word to, to comfort and encourage the weary. Folks are tired. When I hear uh, before the prayer meetings, when I s s stand and pray with people and I hear their stories. The other late day, a lady, months and months ago, she, a lady came up. I, she wanted to give me her request. They're praying all around me. And I go, so what's your name, Pauline? Okay, Pauline, so, uh, no, uh, what I want to pray, no, wait, wait, Pauline. So how long have you been coming here? Seven years. So what do you do for a living? Uh, I'm a, a, a medical technician, and okay. 
okay, so, uh, so when did you get saved, right? And she wants to get on with her request. But I want to hear, so, so where do you live? And then she breaks eye contact and she just slurs her words and uh, Staten Island, Staten Island. And I go, Staten Island, you live in Staten Island? Yeah. So where do you live in Staten Island? I said, Pauline, I'm just asking you where you live. Intelligent, fairly well-dressed, 45-ish, 40. Where do you live? I'm in a shelter. How'd you get in a shelter? I went to school to get a degree, you know, further educate. And then the job market dried up. And you know, in New York, they say you're two months from a, from a shelter if you're living hand to mouth. So here she was in a shelter. It was too embarrassed to tell me. Educated, articulate. What do you think she needs to do? Is to be pounded? Have a meeting where I pound her? No, I wept and wept. By the time the meeting began and praying for a bunch of people, I had no more tears left. People are going through stuff. Even if they act hard on the outside, inside, they're messed up. They're messed up. How many are with me on this? Say amen. And it takes patience. It takes discernment. We got to give a word to sustain the weary. You know, Brother Dave told me he could be very direct and and. He said in a pastor's conference that he spoke at in my church that he wouldn't, to, to hundreds and hundreds of ministers, he wouldn't listen to a lot of his early sermons because he said he was angry. Because when he would see uh, backsliddenness and pa pastors half-baked, that would get him upset. And sometimes he would lash out. And he said to these hundreds and hundreds of people, and he said to me many private times, he said, you know, I, I, when I came to pastor in New York, I, I learned a lot of things. Uh, and he told me one day that he came into the Times Square Church and a woman walked up to him, African-American lady, and as he was walking to the back room and she said, hi, Brother Dave, I spend my last money to get car fare to come here and then go home. After that, I don't have anything, but I'm trusting God. He's going to help me. And he went back and he told me, oh, how God used that. And, and he thought to himself, now what am I going to say tonight that will help her? Should I bury her with how she's not what she ought to be? Hey, guess what? We're all not what we ought to be. Could you lift your hand if you're not what you ought to be? So what's the point? What's the big deal about proving that to a person? Now how are you going to help them? It's like a doctor who keeps saying, dude, you're sick. I know, what should I do? I don't know, but you're really sick, man. You're messed up. So... Now, notice, and let's, let me uh, kind of wrap this up with what happened with Pastor Gary. So he wakens me every morning, okay, to receive. You can't preach a good sermon until you first receive a good sermon. You can't write he's been faithful until you first receive he's been faithful. You can't do anything unless you first receive it. The entire relationship between God and us, his children, is he gives, we receive. Don't you know that I, I am the vine and you are the branches? Tell me what the branch does. Does the branch go, ah? No, the branch just stays connected. 
And every day receives, every moment, not every day, every moment, moment by moment, it just receives the life. Is the life in the branch? No, the life is in the vine. And that's why you just have to stay connected and stay in, in, in fellowship with the Lord. Let me just say one other thing on that note that I've learned over the years and asking God to help me with it. This is why the calling on all of our lives is never to preach first. God's calling is not to preach or write a book or go to uh, Afghanistan or anything like that. Jesus called the 12 disciples in Mark, you can read it, that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach, and that they would have authority over evil spirits. So what's the first calling on our lives is not to preach, is to be with him. Why to be with him? Because that's where we receive. Not asking, 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 petition, petition, yes, yes, petition, yes. But just with the Lord. When they, what did that mean at the beginning when it first happened? He called them that they might be with him. And he names all 12 of them. So what, what does that mean, they were with him? It means they were with him. When he went down the road, they went down the road. When he stopped to eat, they stopped to eat. If you ask them, how long are you staying in Capernaum? How would we know? As long as he's here, we're here. When he moves, we move. Wouldn't it be nice if we just lived and simplified our life that way? That we lived, but notice that came from being with him. That's not relationship. That's fellowship and communion. Let me just say something briefly about that to you. So relationship and fellowship are two different things. I hope we all know now when we preach the good news, it's about a relationship. It's not joining the church. It's not trying to live a better life. It's not living uh, uh, a certain way and keeping commands. That is not what salvation is. Christianity is based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's my savior. I put my trust in him that when he died on the cross, look, all the sins of the world were poured out on him, were laid on him, and then the wrath of God was striking him so that you and I could go free. He was the substitute. He was the scapegoat. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He shed his blood, i.e., his life. He shed that, gave it up for you and me. He took our sins. He gives us his righteousness. We stand before God today perfectly accepted, not because of our track record. Good grief, no. It's because of who Jesus is. Are you with me on that? We say amen. By the way, that's the gospel. If you study those sermons in Acts, you'll find out that's what they talked about. And we got to keep talking about that and sharing the good news. So that's relationship. But I got people in our church. You have them in your church. I'm thinking of someone that we once featured when we did an outreach at, at Radio City Music Hall. Her name was Amalia, Puerto Rican, grew up in the Lower East Side. Her dad started coming in her room at about nine years old at night and messing with her. That went on until she was 14. She was afraid to tell her mother. He told her, if you tell your mother, I'll kill you both. Uh, and at 14, she got out of the house. The mother kind of knew but was in denial. So she went out and just went totally nuts, was with men, was with women, had abortions, finally ended up a topless dancer. Then she had a baby, ended up in a no electricity, no heat dive in the Times Square area back then um, with this baby. And uh, wanted to kill herself, but stayed alive just for the baby. And then she came 
uh, someone brought her to our church, and she came. I didn't know she was there. She wept through the whole meeting. She felt the love of God, heard the message of Christ's love for her, put her faith in, in, in Christ. And within two days, they brought her to my office because someone had heard her story. And she's just kind of tough, and, and, and you could tell she had been out there. But you could tell God had done something. So she shared her life with me. I cried like a baby. And so I watched her carefully because I'd sit on the platform back in those days. And she'd sit up in the balcony of that building on Flappish Avenue that we were in. I'd see her every Sunday with her hands up worshiping God. And I would be so thankful, God. Thank you for saving Amalia. I mean, you talk about a trophy of God's grace. Just messed up. So months went by. And one Sunday, I don't see her there. So I'm concerned. Shepherd got to know their sheep, right? And the enemy is always trying to steal that seed out of the ground, right? That's in the parable. So um, the next Sunday I see her, and she runs over to me in the lobby. I go, hi, Amalia. Hi, Pastor. I said, I missed you last Sunday. She said, oh, yeah, I went upstate. Oh, what would you go upstate for? Had to see my dad. I said, what happened? She said, I told my dad. I've hated you my whole life. You've ruined my whole life. I used to put a screwdriver into my pillow, hoping I'd get the courage when you came at night that I could kill you by driving it through your side of your head. But I want you to know I found Jesus now. Jesus has changed my life, and I forgive you. And she shared the gospel with him. Did she have relationship with him? Yes. Birth certificate proves it. Did she have fellowship? No. John writes... We write these things to you. We saw him, we touched him, we heard him. We write all these things to you, 1 John 1, that you might have fellowship with us. Not relationship. They already had that. They were Christians. We write these things that you might have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Communion. He called them that they might be with him. 1 Corinthians 1, I think 9 uh, God is faithful who has called us into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. If Look, we have to lead the way on that. How am I going to have a church that walks with Jesus and, and is strong in their fellowship if I'm not in fellowship with Jesus? I'm not talking about preaching sermons, and I'm not talking about am I a Christian. I, know, I got that. We're talking now about communion, fellowship. And it's in that fellowship that we get that instructed tongue that we get that thing for a, for a sermon, that we get that application or a word of knowledge. It can come anytime, granted. But word of knowledge, no, notice that when the, Peter and John were tr uh, tried in Acts uh, 3 and 4, they took knowledge of them that they had, what, been with Jesus. Not only they identified them as disciples, the meaning probably is these guys have been walking with him because they act like him. How are you going to act like him if you don't walk with him. By just being in his presence, he changes you. I have found in my life, the more I try to change, the less I change. And when I stop trying to change and I'm just with him, God works to change. Can we get, say amen to that? <laughs> By beholding him, we become like him. Second Corinthians, right? Yeah. By beholding him. Yeah. So they, they asked him questions. You think when they were with him, they just asked questions? No, I think they were quiet and they just listened. And now let me close this up and, and, and get to where I wanted to, where I started. 
When, when Jesus woke up each, uh, on mornings and the Bible says he disappeared into a lonely place to pray, do you think he was asking God for things all, for, for two, three hours? I don't think so at all. No. What was he doing? He was having fellowship with his father, and from that he was receiving all kinds of things. Instructions, word of knowledge maybe, what to teach on, where to go, where not to go. And I know that's true because notice what he said. Hey, the miracles I do, why do you condemn me? I'm not, I, you think I make these up? I only do what the Father shows me. If the Father shows me, I do it. If the Father doesn't show me, I'm helpless. Jesus couldn't go around and heal anyone he wanted. He couldn't go into a, 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 a cemetery and just be raising people up from the dead. No, there was, and that's true in the New Testament. There's no miracle upon demand. There, that's, there's no such a thing. It's people who walk with him, who have that giftedness, who are shown what to do, where to go. How did John and Peter know to say to that one lame man? There's like 100 people lying there. How in the world did they know to pick him out and say, yo, look at me? They didn't say yo, but that's in Brooklyn. We say yo. <laughs> look at me. Look at me. How do they know to pick him? So brothers and sisters, in our weakness, that's when we're strong. When we have nothing in ourselves, then we can receive all that God has for us. I've learned that time and time. I've gotten up and preached and God has used me. If people only knew that I was hanging by a thread. Hanging by a thread. Okay? Heartbroken. Exhausted. Not having the wisdom of a slug traveling too much. And you go up there, isn't that the promise? In your weakness, God's strength is made perfect, right? Why? Because you get receptive. It's when we're strong in ourselves that we mess up. Oh, wait till they hear this word I have for them. Praise God. No, it's when you go out, I came to you in fear and trembling. Weakness and trembling. So that your faith would not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So, I was in Florida last week with my middle daughter and her husband, and she has four children, two are in college, and then she adopted eight years ago, eight and a half years ago from Ethiopia. Uh, the little boy was born, his mother died uh, at giving birth. The husband had five other kids, couldn't keep them. Had the wherewithal, northern town, Muslim area, and he ended up driving in a bus five hours or eight hours and going to Addis Ababa, the capital, where I was with Pastor Gary. Weren't we together in Addis? Yeah. And, um, and found an orphanage. That orphanage closed six months later, but at that time, the name at the top of the list was Brian and Susan Petrie, and they called and said, we got a baby for you, little boy. His name was Bushara. They named him Levi. And they brought him home. They brought their other two kids that they had, the older ones. And they brought, we, Carol and I were waiting at Kennedy, and there was this little four-month-old little boy, and he's my boy. He's my boy. He's my boy. I get weak every time I see him because... He could have died so easily. Where they are, they sometimes just leave them on the side of the road. They just leave them. Especially if they're girls, just leave them. So while I was in Florida, we were having dinner. And Levi is going through all this thing of where he was born. 
and his race. And you know, Sue comes to pick him up from school and the friends look at the, Sue, my daughter, and go, yeah, Levi, that's your mom? You get it? And it doesn't look like your mom. So he's going through all of that and he knows he has siblings. They've told him everything. He knows his siblings have nothing, but he doesn't know how nothing they have. And he's very sensitive. And someone who minister, well-known minister who knows about him, prays for him and feels he's one day gonna go and preach the gospel in uh, Ethiopia. So be it, Lord. So we're in a restaurant just last Thursday night, not even a week ago, and we're talking about a trip I took to Argentina where I saw them shoot a cow in the head and the gauchos jumped on about six of them with these very sharp knives and just just splayed that animal and cut them up because in Argentina is the beef capital of the world and they hung the skin up and then they had the different cuts of the meat, the carne, asado, and they're, they're doing everything, drain the blood out, the whole thing. So then my brother and my son-in-law and someone else who was at the table, they had made the mission trip to Ethiopia in the backwoods and they said, oh, we saw a cow killed there, but oh my goodness, it wasn't like that, pastor. I said, really? And Levi sitting next to me, I didn't think he was listening, he was just eating. They said, yeah, they used like, like a butter knife. That's all they had. And the animal was just screaming and crying, bellowing. And it took so long. It was the worst thing we ever saw in our lives. I said, oh, not where I was. They, 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 these guys do this for a living. But it's Ethiopia. It's a difficult area. So about 15 minutes later, I just turned to Levi. And I go, so Levi, what? And he turns. And his both eyes are filled with tears. And I go, Levi, what's wrong? Nothing. I said, Levi, it's Papa. I'm, I'm asking you, what's wrong? Tell me. Nothing, nothing. So my daughter Sue looks at him and goes, come on, get out of your chair. Let's talk. So she takes him out. She comes back later. And I said to her later, what happened? She said, no, it's the story. It's the story about Ethiopia. He realizes now he's reminded that we're not his real parents, that he has siblings who are living in poverty. And see, in Ethiopia, they have the wrong knife, and the animal has to bellow and suffer. And that's where he's from. You know, all that stuff, which you and I can't empathize. How would you and I know what that's like unless you've been adopted from Ethiopia? And so God has his hand on him. So I've been burdened for him and praying. So let's, as we're praying yesterday, See, someone, Pastor Gary, was in receiving mode, and he walks over to me, puts his arm on me, says, I feel like I should pray for your grandson. What's his name? The one from Ethiopia. He knew none of this. He knew nothing. And he prayed, spoke over his life that God would use him, not only help him through this, but that God would preserve him, keep him from evil. Because when someone's adopted like that and God's hand is on them, the devil comes to destroy, doesn't he? So my point is, is that, uh, brothers and sisters, we got to spend more time with the Lord. 
so that we can receive more. Because remember this, you can't give anything until you first receive it. Remember what Paul says? What do you have that you didn't receive? And if you received it, why do you walk around like you're somebody? Spiritual pride is a form of insanity because no one has anything unless God gave it to them. And if you're lacking today and you're discouraged about how things are going, don't try harder. Be more open to receive what God has for you. The hand is of the Father is open. It's just are we willing to receive or are we too busy? Hey, you're not a CEO. You're a man of God. You're a woman of God. So stop it. You're not a construction person. Get that hard hat off. You want to look at it? Take five minutes and look at it, but that's not your calling. You're not the CFO. Don't fool around with the money. Just let somebody do it if you can. Okay? Remember what Peter and John and the disciples said in Acts 6? Wait a minute. We're not handing out meat and food to the widows. Please. We're going to give ourselves to the word and prayer. Why? Because how else are we going to minister? We can't be running around doing all this other stuff. we got to delegate it. So if you're here today, here's a word from the Lord possibly for you. Delegate. I know, but they might mess up. Train them and do the best you can, but don't get pulled away from what you and I are called to do. We're called to be with Jesus. Do I get an amen here? We're called to be with Jesus, to know what to preach, to know how to preach it, to know when to stop you got to be in communion with the Lord while you're preaching. Haven't you ever heard someone preach and they were really anointed? Unfortunately, they preached 10 minutes past the anointing. The anointing stopped and they kept on. One time I was at a conference. The first time Gary invited me, I think, to that conference in Colorado Springs. Your dad was alive. And uh, I was sitting next to Nikki, who's a friend, and we're sitting in the front row. And there was a, a great preacher, a guy from um, Canada, uh, who's a friend of ours, wonderful man of God. And they had told us, they had told him, listen, Brother Dave, even though he was feeling weak, wants to speak in the conference. So we're going to give him a session. Yeah, like, all right, that makes sense. So you only have one session. You don't have two, as we originally told you. But he had prepared two messages. You know where we're heading here, right? So I'm sitting next to Nikki, and he gets up to preach, and I'm telling you, for the first 35 minutes, 40 minutes, it was as great a sermon as I ever heard. And Nikki turned to me and said, Jim, man, he used his name, he said, that brother is anointed. I said, no, I know. I feel like going up and getting saved. I mean, that's how good this thing is. <laughs> but he, he thought, you know what? I prepared two messages. Let me see if I can sneak the second one in here, but compress it to 10 minutes. It got so bad that Nikki turned to me in his New York Mau Mau gang way and went, man, the anointing went out of town, but he's still talking. <laughs> but you know what? That's The Lord can tell us. Sometimes we're only supposed to talk for 20 minutes to the congregation. When to stop, how to apply it, how to end a meeting. How would you and I know how to do that? Unless the Lord taught us. And we received it. We received it from the Lord. 
So I don't think he would mind. He's, since we just saw his face, I really miss him today, Brother Dave. I'll tell you a true story about him. And this is how God used him. He was an imperfect person, had uh, defects, which he would quickly tell you about. But, but he, he was desperate to hear from God. So he was making an overseas trip. He told me one day, I'll never forget this. I was eating lunch. It was the craziest lunch I had ever had in my life. And he says, yeah, Jim, can you, did, did you ever think you heard from God and totally missed it? I said, yeah. He says, I said, why you ask? He said, you know, I was making a trip to uh, Poland. And good friends of mine who I introduced him to were the interpreters. So he says, I was digging around and, you know, getting sermons for it. And I went in the Old Testament, and Brother Dave would read a lot in the Old Testament. And he said, I got this message, and I was preaching it from, you know, the men are supposed to appear uh, three times a year, all the men in Israel. They're supposed to come to the feast in Jerusalem, and they never should come empty-handed. So he said, I got this sermon. Um, don't come into God's presence just empty-handed. You should have something for God. And he said, I worked it out. I thought it was right. So he said, I get up to preach. And I confirmed this with the interpreter. It's absolutely true, although you're not going to believe it. So he gets up to preach, and he's preaching, and he preaches for about 20 minutes. And he says, I'm preaching, and I'm troubled in my spirit as I'm preaching. So I just stop as I'm preaching, but in my heart. And the Lord speaks to me and says, that's totally wrong. Everything you've said for 20 minutes is wrong. Stop and tell the people you're wrong. And tell them they don't need to bring anything. Let them just come the way they are. With their sins, with their weakness, with everything messed up. They don't have to fix anything. So I said, what? He said, yep, that's what God did. Did you ever hear him tell that about that? Yeah. So he turned to the interpreter and he said, don't be afraid. Say what I say. So the, <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. So Paul Chesler said to the people interpreting, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, God has just talked to me. Everything I've been saying has been wrong. So forget it. You don't have to bring anything. Just delete everything I said for the last 20 minutes. You come right now because he loves you so much, you just don't bring anything. You come right now. You come right now with nothing but your mess. Just bring your mess. You don't have to fix anything. And Brother Chesler told me that people started like running. But look, who would have the courage and the ear and the heart? Because the ear, he has opened my ear. That's not talking about this. It's talking about su corazón, about your heart to be listening. Father God, I thank you that you have called us into the ministry that we can be with you and that we can receive words, visions, dreams, impulses from you, Lord. That we can see healings take place before they take place. The gifts of the Spirit, we receive it before we give it. Everything has to come from you. We have nothing. You have made it so that I, I never will have anything of my own that I can say this is mine. I just have to keep receiving from you. And the more I give out what I receive, then you'll give me even more. Let that be for my brothers and sisters. Now, this Sunday is coming up here, Lord, in, at the end of the week, should you tarry. Would you give us what you want us to do this Sunday? What to preach on? How long to preach? 
what examples, how to conduct the meeting, what praise song should be sung, how the service should be run. God, we give you the whole thing. You run it, we'll receive from you, and we'll throw away the script. We'll throw away everything. You just lead us and guide us. If you could lead the Israelites for 40 years, you could lead us through a service this Sunday. I know you can. So we receive from you. A man can receive nothing unless it's given to him from heaven. Keep us always receiving, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to show you something before I depart. Can we shut these uh, curtains here? So my wife, in the middle of the night, just like I preached, bolted out of bed. By the way, have any of you ever heard the Christmas song that kids usually sing during Christmas shows? Happy birthday, Jesus. Anybody ever heard that song? My wife wrote that. And we were in Puerto Rico on a vacation, and she bolted up out of the bed. Just, okay, she bolted up out of the bed, and in the middle of the night, I almost had a heart attack. And she just bolted up at 3 in the morning and went, Happy birthday, Jesus. And I thought, good grief, I know I married an artist, but stop. I mean, I can't take this. Well, anyway, in the middle of the night, about two, three years ago, God gave her this song. I never heard a song like it. I'm not boasting in her. I'm boasting in the Lord that he would give a song. And it simply says, pray. All the promises, all the things God will do when we just pray. That's why God said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Not just to get our petitions. So as we wait and linger, brothers and sisters, do that in your services. Teach the people to wait and to linger. If they get antsy, be patient, but teach them. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew. How do they renew? They receive from God. They transfer their strength. They get his as they wait. So this song about uh, pray is sung by a lady we know um, who lives in another part of Brooklyn. And Carol just felt like she'd be the best one to sing it. Uh, but the images are important. So we want to go to dark. And you got to see the verse that's on the first uh, image. So can we knock the lights off, please, first? before we put it on and the volume is gonna be up because it's music from beginning to end. God bless you, I hope you enjoyed this, okay? Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you haven't already, subscribe today on your mobile device to get exclusive new content from Teen Challenge of Southern California. For more information, visit us on the web at teenchallenge.org.